0: As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And what the focus of today's show is strength and conditioning for the endurance athlete and, of course, the performance-minded fitness enthusiast. And, well, you probably don't need me to tell you this by now, but strength and conditioning is one of the pillars of performance. But today, we're going to dig much deeper. You see, today, it's all about applied methodology. So how we actually put it into practice and the predominant coaching mindset behind the application. We're going to do this via three case studies with vastly different profiles of, yeah, real purple patch athletes, each one different, each with different goals, but all the same in wanting to involve and, of course, seeking to improve their performance within the context of their life. So I hope this show helps you when integrating, and there's that word again, integration, integrating strength and conditioning into your time-starved life. Before we do so... Why don't we get on with the jingle? We like the way he thinks, serious with a wink. Let's open the book, it's time to take a peek. It's the Dixonary Word of the Week. And the Word of the Week this week is recuperation. Recuperation. In fact, it's not that much of a fun one this week in many ways because we're going to talk about recuperation from injury. You see, this week we had an athlete that had an unfortunate bicycle accident, and he caused some real damage. But beyond the simple loss of the bark, yep, the road rash, he had broken ribs, clavicle, and a few other bits and pieces. Obviously a massive emotional and physical challenge, and we wish him very well. But this type of event or any long-term injury can be devastating and confusing, but there is always a path back. I tend to have four main phases of recuperation when we think about the process of injury back to high performance. So let's go through them quickly. The first, healing. I call this the grieving and sympathy phase. You're basically out of action. Whether you've broken your leg, you've got broken ribs as our friend Ed that we're talking about today, There's a stage of process where you are just completely removed from action. And the only thing that you can do outside of being a little frustrated is to start to heal. And it's also the time that most of your friends and acquaintances are going to have well, a pretty good amount of sympathy for you. But after that, we're going to go to phase two, whether it's four, five, six weeks of complete recuperation or healing. Phase two is transition to movement. This is where, well, it's the phase where no one really provides sympathy anymore. Get used to it. Your injury is a kind of old hat, but you are healing. Your patience suddenly becomes very low. But this phase is a critical phase. And I always tell athletes, you only get one shot to do this right. And this is the phase where the vast majority of athletes accelerate too quickly They're able to go through, get back to movement, and of course, they dive right back into training. The initial stages of great patience and going from pure healing to movement is really important to be highly patient. Once we get through that phase, we hit the third phase of the progression, which is the progression back to training. Now, Movement progresses to real structured training in this phase. And this, unfortunately for athletes, is even harder emotionally. Come on, unleash the dogs. Let's go. But no. You see, this is another key phase. But many athletes tend to, when they get into this phase of the recuperation, remember who they were immediately post-injury. But the honest truth is they're just not there right now. And this is a high risk for other injuries occurring. And so what we have to do at this phase is really be pragmatic and honest in our assessment. We have declined fitness and we can rebuild back. But we have to ensure that we're very, very patient as we do so. And finally, the fourth phase is the performance phase. Yep, you're free. Go chase a level beyond where you have ever been. You see, if you understand and recognize these phases, then it can help you frame expectation and mindset. You see, what you have to realize is that every injury occurs, no matter how horrible, no matter how frustrating, opportunity can arise from it and at every stage it cannot be about what's been stripped for you but instead focusing on what you can do really much like the rest of sport wouldn't you agree and that my friends is the phases of recuperation the healing the transition to movement the transition to training and then the evolution to great performance and that is why the word of the week this week is recuperation now For you folks listening from my home country, England, I'm going to go a little Arthur daily on you and I'm going to sell you the latest full Capri. All the Belgian and guaranteed. Now, for everyone else, I wouldn't bother spending too much time looking up Arthur. It's probably just going to lead to more confusion and even a little despair that you're listening to this. But I do want to spend one minute talking about Purple Patch coaching. You see, the subject of this week is strength. And I think it's important to recognize that all Purple Patch coaching has fully integrated strength and conditioning and year round. Remember that we talk about the recipe always, and that's the combination of endurance, training, strength, nutrition and recovery that makes up the plan and it must integrate strength. And of course, all the other habits. In fact, you cannot be a Purple Patch athlete without buying into this concept. You cannot be coached without an integrating mindset. And every Purple Patch athlete enjoys a fully integrated experience and piece of the puzzle, of course, is strength. And so here's the offer. We are not as a company for every athlete, but if you'd like to find out how Purple Patch works and how we can tailor a program to your needs, and then feel free to set up a consultation and we'll have a discussion. If and only if we are a fit for each other and then we can explore becoming a part of the global Purple Patch team. Feel free to reach out info at purplepatchfitness.com but now let's sit down to dinner. I'm going to serve you up my favourite. Here is the meat and potatoes. Yes, the meat and potatoes today, we're gonna do some applied performance. We've talked on this show before about the value of strength, but what we wanna do today is apply it to real-world case studies. So we're gonna go through three athletes that we've worked with over the last few years. So before we dive into the case studies, I think it's important to do a little bit of framing. Let's actually get together with the importance and mindset around strength. The first thing is that strength and conditioning isn't something simply preventative. How uninspiring is that? It's actually all about maximizing your performance potential. It is an integral part of your global performance puzzle. Now, remember a statement that I've made many, many times on this show. What we consistently see is that when we find the right sustainable recipe of integrated endurance training... And integrated strength training and that is supported with appropriate recovery including sleep my friends and a backbone of proper nutrition and fueling you accelerate every time and this is no matter the athlete level no matter the goal these make up the four pillars of performance endurance strength recovery and nutrition and for me these are the plan They're not mutually exclusive entities, they're actually the pieces of the puzzle that make up your performance recipe. And they are, yes, unique for each person. And so the success of this is when they are simple, habit-driven, and integrated, then the power happens. So today, we're just going to pick one, strength, and we're going to go deep, and we're going to focus on applied strength in individuals that we work with. Now, you might recognize the pieces of these stories in your own story, but let's set it up. What is strength training? Well, we have to think about this relative to both endurance and life performance. And for me, the components of strength training are, of course, muscular overload, improvement of strength. We also want to have that strength transfer to be more explosive, so it also includes power and acceleration of heavy weight through speed. We have integrating around joint mobility. And of course, we're looking for core stability and fatigue resistance. These are the components that all encompassing make up my mindset towards strength and conditioning. Well, why do we do it? What are the benefits of integrating strength? Well, the baseline, and this is quite interesting, is that, By integrating strength into your endurance lifestyle, you're gonna become more athletically aware. If I ask a triathlete to touch their nose, the chances are they're gonna poke themselves in the eye. But coordination and neural synchronization can facilitate technical adoption, so improving your technique, and of course, just having an overall understanding of where all your bits and pieces are. The second benefit of strength is by overloading with actual physical load, you increase the muscle fibers that are in what we call the usable mix. Now overload, tough to do in an endurance activity quite as effectively, will light up all of the available muscles. And this is going to lay the potential to improve your power and speed, whether you're in rowing, running, riding, whatever the endurance discipline might be. And it's also going to lay the potential to bring additional muscle fibers into endurance activity when fatigue onset occurs. So therefore, you have a much greater opportunity to maintain proper posture, good form, and of course, maximize your economy. In other words, you delay slowdown or fatigue. The third benefit is an improved stability and posture. And this is a baseline of good form and technique across all endurance sports. And finally, yes, maybe, maybe a reduction of injury risks. And we do this through improving tissue integrity. But, but let's go into what it won't do. It doesn't ensure injury prevention. So yes, it can help provide injury risk protection, but it doesn't ensure it. Because you can be addicted to strength and still riddled with injury. So don't believe the hype. Injury occurs due to a combination that is complex. Genetic predisposition, poor training planning and execution, inadequate recovery, under-eating and fueling, the list goes on. Strength and conditioning also won't automatically make you faster in your endurance sports. Just by being loyal and doing lots of strength training doesn't make you faster. It is a gateway to lay the potential for you to maximize the essential hard work that is occurring in your endurance training. So therefore, it's not a direct speed provider. We must apply it and join the dots towards what you're doing in the gym and what you're actually doing outside in your endurance activity. And so with this, to really maximize the potential of strength and conditioning, when you're an endurance focused individual, you must do plenty of strength based endurance activity as well. And the athlete, you, must think about the connection and join the dots. What am I doing in the gym? What am I doing outside? How do they relate to each other? Now, the key to this, therefore, that starts to bubble out as I talk about this is that strength and conditioning obviously cannot be applied in a vacuum. Remember, it's part of your recipe. So it must align with the endurance focus. It must integrate into your life And for the time-starved, most of you folks listening, it cannot simply take up too much time because if it dominates your life and then it's gonna mitigate or minimize your ability to actually do that all-valuable endurance training. So how do we layer this over the year? Well, of course, it's individual and it's focused on needs, but a general progression would aim to be aligned with our general endurance training. So let me give you an example. Now, many of you listeners might remember that we have three main phases of training. We have post-season, we have a build phase, and then we have race-specific. So very briefly, before we dive into the case studies, let's remind ourselves how we integrate strength into those endurance phases. Well, let's start with post-season. In post-season, your endurance training is relatively low stress and it's more technical in nature. And so the overall load is much less. That means with strength training, it's a wonderful time to gain skill acquisition and increase load. Now, as we go through the post-season phase, we're gonna go from movement pattern to transitioning to major movements with high load. Remember, endurance stress is low, so it's a chance for us to get strong. As we transition to the build phase where the endurance training is going to get tougher and it's going to be more strength focused, that means low revolutions on the bicycle, running hills, doing rowing with a high gauge concept Two at a high level of stress and strain. Well, we carry on with the high strength in our strength and conditioning. But as we go through the build phase, we're going to start to increase the complexity of movement and become much more power focused. So rather than doing heavy, heavy squats, we'll be doing tosses and jumps and transitions to speed, lots of box jumps and lots of deadlifts that go to explosive movements with medicine balls. As we go to race specific, well, You know what's happening at this time of the year with the endurance training. It's all about getting race ready. And so therefore, the mindset as it applies to strength and conditioning is one to where it becomes supportive. It gets focused on maximizing your readiness to race, not losing gains from the prior hard work that you've done in the earlier part of the year. And perhaps most importantly, it becomes more therapeutic, It becomes more mobility based. We want to keep you on the field as we might say and so in this phase of training we tend to retain once weekly that you might do some heavier strength work but overall we move to more neural firing coordination type drills and there is an increase or bubbling up focus on the therapeutic side lots of mobility and joint health exercises that really become the anchor of your strength and conditioning while you're trying to race well The key to all of this is consistency, and we want to allow continuance, but not to detract from the endurance goals and the key sessions that are getting us race ready. Well, great. That's the flow of it. You can see how it's almost inverted to the stress of endurance training, and that's because we can't have all things at once. And you might say, great, I'm on board, but today we're going to go deeper we're gonna move to the applied performance side of the show. Let's talk about some real athletes. Now, with each one of these, we're gonna go through four main steps. The first, you need to understand the profile so that you can identify with their situation. The second, we'll get into their challenges and their needs relative to their profile. So we're gonna investigate why strength is important for them. We'll then talk about, thirdly, the implementation, how we applied strength into their recipe and their life. And of course, finally, what the outcome was. What were their results, directly or indirectly, to the strength and conditioning integration? Without further ado, let's get going, guys. So case study number one. This is Penny. She's the premenopausal age group athlete. Now, Penny was very, very hesitant to integrate strength and I actually had a big battle with her over probably about 18 months before she finally embraced the concept. But first let's go into her profile and we can see what the results were by her taking action. So Penny, she's 46 years of age. She's been competing as an endurance athlete for 12 years and she's had great success, multiple marathons, age group wins, triathlons, really a string of ongoing improvement and success. And she loves to train and she loves longer distance, long bike rides, long trail runs, big days in the saddle. And never throughout her life and throughout her endurance career had she completed any strength training. Now, Penny has consistently improved until the last two or three years. And what well, her thoughts are, it's just age catching up. Maybe it's just destiny for me to start to slow down. But I didn't think that was the case. What I saw is the years of endurance training really coming up to how much more fit can you get as the primary question. And in digging into her situation, the other thing that we realized is that all of the endurance training that she had, she often had extended periods of amenorrhea, so she wasn't getting a menstrual cycle. Now, what are her challenges that Penny faces? Well, obviously, at the performance level, she's no longer improvement, she's plateaued. So her training recipe simply isn't working for her. But she has some other considerations. You see, once a woman goes through menopause, Bone resorption or breakdown tends to overtake the building of new bone. In other words, there can be a drop, and in many cases, it's a massive drop within the first couple of years after menopause. And so her bone density becomes a real risk. Also, early menopause before the age of 45 or any long phases in which a woman has low hormone levels or infrequent menstrual cycles, which is exactly what Penny had, can also cause a loss of bone mass. And so from a life standpoint, her biggest challenge is Penny had to take action now. And running alone was not enough to help her bone density. She needed Beyond a performance standpoint, she needed strength and conditioning for her to remain as a healthy woman. Another challenge for her is the endurance stimulus provided, big miles, mostly at steady state, simply no longer elicited the stimulus for evolution. Remember, evolve or die. Well, in a performance sense, Penny was on the route to performance death. She needed to shift emphasis and build on the massive platform of fitness. And the recipe for her, the need for her, was to actually have a massive variance in intensity and power. Remember, a singular stimulus to change is seldom the solution. So even her endurance recipe needed to change. She needed to pivot away from doing so much and she started to need to have greater variety in her training. But add to that, she needed to get strong. She needed to have integrated strength, not only to break through and change the stimulus, but of course, as we talked about, for her global health as a human being. The quote I said to her is, Penny, you need to get strong like wool. Now, of course, she didn't respond very kindly to that, but strength shouldn't be a supplement in her case. In fact, the way that I positioned to her is the first thing that you do, the primary thing that you need to plan on your endurance training is your strength. We are actually gonna turn it upside down and we are going to build your endurance training around your strength. And so rather than being a critical supplement, instead, we are gonna make it central and forefront of your programming. Now, the way for her to implement this was to be having a mindset of I'm going to live off of my endurance years. And so rather than thinking, and this is the confidence part, oh my goodness me, on having something pulled away, instead we say they're gonna be there, the endurance training years are not going to dissipate, and we're gonna live off of these for a year or two. In addition to that, we're gonna change the same stimulus. And so we're gonna increase the intensity and we're gonna take a drop in total training hours. And then with the less training hours, we have more time to have a serious and central strength training focus. The way that we structured it for her was that post-season was the readiness phase. So we wanted to build the resilience in the tissue and the skill acquisition of movement. Remember, she had done very little to no strength training before this. We then wanted her to not chase race readiness as historically was her pursuit. And instead, as we transitioned to the build and into the race phase, we actually focused very, very heavily on strength training. And it was only in the later race-specific phase that we even tried to transition into parent the first year. So what that meant is at least twice a week, some high load strength, squats, lats, deadlifts, everything that you might imagine. We then later went into explosive power, lots of bench jumps, medicine ball tosses and more. And we wanted to maintain that high load strength all the way through the season. With all this focus of strength training, it left us with less capacity to load up the endurance training. And in fact, on a week to week basis, she probably had about two thirds of the total volume of endurance load than she had historically. But to counter that, what we did is to provide strategic bones to her. In other words, we threw little endurance weekends, little trips and riding adventures so that she could pad up that endurance volume only really needed for the emotional component, but allow Penny to feel the endurance training. The focus, the primary focus, was all anchored around strength. So what was the outcome? Well, she's training less. Yeah, she's doing a little intensity, and she's still trying to do marathons and Ironmans. And yet, her season at the age of 45 was the fastest set of results ever. She also reported an increased enjoyment. It was fresh and exciting and different. And of course, her confidence started to build. Her passion returned. She hadn't realized the monotony of her training life before. She was just doing. And when you start to get purpose and an evolved purpose and you combine it with passion, you get performance. And my bet, is that she still has growth and opportunity to go faster. In fact, Penny in many ways reminds me of another Purple Patch legend, Mary Mitchell. Mary's also a seasoned triathlete, been doing it for several years. And yet last season after evolving and integrating strength and changing the stimulus, she had her best year ever. And she even recorded a second place overall at Ironman Malaysia. Yes, the second woman in the race at 59. The key... Stimulus, intensity, and strength. I think there's some lessons to draw out of that. And I think you've heard it before. The barometer of success in endurance performance is seldom simply how much you do. It's really about how effective it is. All right, gang, that's number one. Case study number two, we go to Ken. He likes to be called Mighty Ken. Ken is the injury-prone time-star fitness enthusiast, and yes, of course, he's an executive. So this is a fitness enthusiast. We're not talking about a triathlete here. We're talking about a pure fitness enthusiast, but is going through a cycle of frustration and, of course, injuries. He's 42, he's in technology, he has two kids, and it might not surprise you, he's extremely time-strapped. He was historically a high school athlete. He used to do lots of endurance events, school sports, but now with life, work, kids, career development, he's about 20 pounds heavier, and one would say in the English way, he's kind of let it go a little bit. He's now aware of fitness relative to life and its importance, but consistency, has been his primary challenge. He's still time starved and he has a very low fitness platform to build from. And so his profile is that he keeps getting cracking and then injury cycles evolve, repeat, repeat, repeat. What does he do? He runs, that's obviously his most accessible and historically most relevant sport. And he also occasionally does the rowing ergometer. When we think about his approach to strength, well, it takes a back seat for him. And that's because he only has four chances a week to exercise and his mindset was, I need to use those four times a week to burn some calories. I need to get fat burning. And so I don't wanna spend time in the gym. Occasionally, he sneaks outside and does a 5K or a 10K race, but mostly his predominant mindset is all about keeping in shape. Well, what are his challenge and needs? Well, the first thing, and you can probably tell him this, but it's easier on the other side of the fence when you come out, he needs a little patience. You see, what he's carrying is a symptom of low reality and pragmatism. He's remembering more who he was rather than who he is now. And that's a primary difference. What this leads to is accelerated progression of training because he's got too much stress relative to his current fitness and his body just simply isn't ready to accept or absorb the endurance training load because he's not quite as fit as what his mind is saying. He also has mobility issues, particularly around the key joints. And I would guess that's probably from his time sitting in the car for the commute and of course, extended desk time that he has at work. In other words, he's got way too much of a dormant life and a reduction in his athletic body. The third challenge for Ken is that he's chasing caloric burn and he's doing this via his prior comfort zone running. And what that's leading him to do is neglect strength training. And he's neglecting it because he sees it as a limited return on investment within a time starved life. So he's not leaning into strength, which will provide both resilience, tissue integrity, and ironically, the development of lean tissue. In other words, it would help him with his body composition. But he's putting it to the back burner because he just thinks it's too much of a thing to integrate into life. So our challenge with Ken was how could we integrate strength into a time-starved life and get him on board emotionally? Well, in order to do this, we had to think out of the box. You see, it's very different than a penny situation. What we wanted to do was to not just add strength on top of his already endurance training focus, but instead integrate it. So we did this in a slightly different way. The first is that out of his four opportunities a week to exercise, we tended to do two central workouts that were heavily challenging to him. And those were strength-based workouts, but integrated with Running intervals. And so, in other words, what that meant is we actually integrated strength and run circuits. Now, yes, we lost a little bit of specificity in here, but what we gained was variety, something challenging and fun, and highly time efficient. Now, the key was that these circuits still had to be structured and progressive, they couldn't be random. So, these days were Ken's very hard days but we did it by combining and integrating strength into his interval running. The barometer became less and less for him on the distance or mileage that he would run each week and instead increased the specificity. We then added mobility into his other running sessions. So we did five to seven minutes where we just had a little bit of easy jogging for his running, or his rowing that he was really comfortable with. And then we just did five to seven minutes of mobility and then carry on with the session. And so we divided the strength from the mobility. We also even asked him occasionally, hey, when you are detuning at night and you're relaxing, why not add that little mobility in front of the TV? And pretty soon he started to do it. All of the other components that he did with his training were supporting in nature. So we anchored it around these two challenging sessions. And then we just added supporting low stress rowing, running with walk breaks or some treadmill walking, which in itself was strength-based. And the mindset for him, that these supporting sessions were all about setting up those tough circuits. So the outcome for Ken was he actually successfully adopted a training mindset He had an athlete's mindset again. And what we enabled him to do was to have sustainable strength while balanced with some running intervals, but still enable recovery enough to allow healing and performance. And with these two key workouts, including strength integrated, he could move and evolve relative to his life, fatigue level or energy levels. And so it became more manageable for him. The overall longer-term outcome was, of course, improved resilience, improved lean tissue, and that magic word, progression. Progression of fitness, progression of health, progression of energy, and you guessed it, a progression of the improvement of his body composition. So longer-term, this was actually the catalyst to realizing that training can be integrated and transitioned from Dixon's prison hour to actual progression, he almost started to enjoy it. And in fact, recently he mentioned, hey, maybe I'll train for a trail marathon. And you know why he did? Because he can. And that's the ultimate thing, realizing that your recipe can be very different than someone that's a serious athlete, but still needs to be structured and progressive and enable enough recovery, even if you're only exercising four times a week, to actually make the hard days effective. So Ken's a happy man, strong, resilient, and of course, the knock-on effect of better energy, better sleeping, and we all like a little bit of improvement in body composition. So finally, guys, case study number three. We go to Sam. Sam is the time-starved but performance driven triathlete. So we're going to come back to a triathlete and we want to talk about Sam. So let's go through his profile first. So he's 12 to 14 hours a week of training, but at the same time, he's got very lofty triathlon goals. He wants to qualify to the Hawaii Ironman. The sport itself is central and important in his life. And actually I would add really to his identity. And he is by far a hard worker. I've always given him that, but he is very singular-minded, or I should say now, Sam, bully for you, you were singular-minded. In other words, it was all about the endurance training, swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run, load, intervals, mileage, hours. And the supporting cast really honestly took a little bit of a backseat. Now, with strength training, he liked the idea of it, but repeatedly, strength training was the first thing to go. So from October to December, post-season, on we go. This is gonna be the year, but then it trails from there. And he seems to feel like it's a low yield relative to endurance sport. What he doesn't know is that it isn't about either or. It's about the global recipe. And so for Sam, his challenge and needs was that, yeah, he's kind of successful. But the question I gave to him was, was he as successful as he could be? Ultimately as well, he was wasting training time because the truth is any strength training completed between October and December in his case is completely wasted by the time race season arrives if you just skip it and stop doing it between January and the rest of the year. So for him, it was a case of skip it or commit. And yes, high performance in a time-starved life was the goal, and he wanted the greatest endurance return possible. But to get there, he was myopic in vision. He only leaned in to a part of his ultimate recipe for long-term performance. And so the question for us is, how could we integrate strength into his recipe without limiting his endurance progression? And ultimately for him, without limiting, his total endurance hours. Well, I think there are a few key points when you have this. The first is that effective strength training for the endurance athlete does not need to be 60 minutes in a gym two to three times weekly. In fact, that would be a terrible use of Sam's time because it would detract from the important endurance training. Instead, we have to create a highly time-effective solution and a hybrid approach into the training slots. And we must spread the sessions probably across multiple days. So we never want to think in an athlete like Sam, this is the day that you are doing strength. We always want to synchronize and integrate it with the endurance work. So the message for him was, all right, Sam, three little slots, of 15 to 20 minutes can have a massive yield for you. And you can do those slots of strength work, pre or post, ride or run, but the key is consistency. Consistency is king. And so we want to align our strength and conditioning with the bigger mission and phase of the season. Well, remember the structure, post-season, build, race-specific. So what we did in Sam's case, was that in post-season, we bubbled up the importance of strength training because the endurance focus was the lower driver at this part of the year. So we did 40 to 50 minutes twice weekly with a little bit of mobility and core around it. Yeah, it was central to the weekly training program for those two or three months of the year. But then as we moved to the build phase, that strength training evolved we went down to only a single weekly session of about 40 minutes. But then we snuck in, and I use that word deliberately, snuck in a couple of 15 to 20 minute sessions. And those were focused on more power and core mobility. As we transitioned to race phase, where the deal was on for Sam at this stage, our mission was to maintain strength, but get therapeutic to deal with the rigors of his training and racing. And so in that, we went down to about a single 20 to 30 minute strength session a week, which included a little bit of explosive work and then a couple of very short core mobility and spark type work. In other words, explosive. And so this was an evolving set of rhythm that enabled him to create that magic word consistency. But at the same time, we could spread it across multiple sessions. So it never felt like he was choosing between a run and strength, between a key bike and strength. Instead, it just happened happened to hybrid onto his available training hours. So what was the outcome? Well, perhaps the most interesting was what Sam reported. He said he felt robust. That's a good word in endurance sport. He was more athletically aware. He was able to join the dots between what he was doing in the gym and his actual endurance sports. It also allowed that magic word of progression. He actually evolved as an athlete, got out of a little plateau and went to another level. Now, it's important to recognize here, that's not singularly down to the strength training addition. He still needed to do the key endurance work because that's his bullseye of training. And that's the key component of this and why it's so challenging for many athletes. Just by adding strength didn't mean he got better. But the outcome globally with the evolution of his endurance training and the integrating of strength is he became a better athlete. Now, to finish up Sam, I think it's important as well to be honest here with something additional that happened for him as an athlete. There was a shift in mindset for Sam on what it takes to be successful. See, I think by forcing him to integrate and think about the fabric of his training recipe, he ultimately became a smarter athlete. He stopped identifying success simply via mileage and began to gain perspective, a word that I love. You see, this has become a non-negotiable part of his life. And now he's gone on to become a more resilient and smarter athlete. And yes, of course, the results flowed. So the lessons out of all this, guys, well, we give you three case studies to realize, I think, the most important thing, that if you're an endurance-minded athlete or fitness enthusiast, a key part of your recipe is strength. But how that is applied to you can be really in a variety of ways. We must be structured and progressive. It cannot be random, but it must synchronize into your life situation, your needs, as well as your goals. And it is a part of your program that needs to be coordinated with your endurance training. It doesn't just sit off. It isn't just about going to a strength class or a random personal trainer and not thinking through what you're trying to do in conjunction with your endurance roadmap. So, that's strength training. Now, before we close up, before we talk and say goodbyes, let's go to some questions of the week. I have been delinquent, I have failed many, I have not answered questions over the last few weeks. And the reason for that is we've just had too much juicy content to honestly get it into the program. But today, I'm gonna answer a couple of questions. So the first is comes from Ed Croucher. Ed, thank you so much. I'm not sure where you're based, but it's a great topic. How easy is, is easy? So what Ed says is, I'm a typical time-starved athlete. My sport is triathlon and specifically long course. And my racing each year tends to take in about one full Ironman and a couple of 70.3 events. I'm currently in a period of training that precedes any large build. So in other words, in this phase of training, a lot of my workouts are harder than I do for an Ironman and they're usually around 60 to 90 minutes in duration. It fits into life and I basically hit high intensity. I try and improve my run durability by sneaking frequent runs in to get to about 30 miles a week. To keep things easy in my body, I don't run very long, usually once a week. So the question is, how easy is easy And can my run be my easy workout? So it's a great question. So if you're on a time-starved program, Ed, and you're thinking about going easy and running and maximizing yield of training time, there's still an important couple of points I would make. The first is that even though you're not doing a massive amount of training hours, you still want to have a vast differentiation between the very challenging days that are very high intensity and hard and having enough recuperation and low stress work between. So typically, even in a time starved life, I look to get three main workouts done over the course of a week. Two are very challenging and hard And we'll drop, or we won't go into the specificity of them, but know that they're very high intensity for you. And then a third is an endurance-focused day, and that could be either run-focused or riding-focused. And still, the other four days of the week still need to be more supportive in nature. So what I mean by that is the focus can be technical, can be more recuperation or general conditioning or preparing for upcoming key sessions. Now, you can still have the same duration that you're talking about in your question, but you do want to generally keep them a little bit lighter. And so how easy is easy globally? Well, if we're talking about recovery, easy is highly conversational, no more than three or four out of 10. And yes, that can include a run. The only thing I would say is when you're doing that run, you are thinking about technical focus and form. So you might go for an easy run, but you might do some bounding. You might hop up on benches to get that posterior activation, but you're not just running around practicing really poor form. But absolutely, and in fact, it can even include hiking for some people. Hill-based walking and strength-based walking is a really good correlation to improving resiliency in the tissue and transferring into good running. And so I wouldn't just go out and say easy is really easy, highly conversational, but what it doesn't want to be is brainless. So I hope that helps answer your question the second question that we have is from john goddard and john you're a purple patch member aren't you i know that lafayette california so his question is a great question i get asked this quite a lot of times what's your opinion of hypoxic swim training in other words restricted breathing during poor swim sets any value to a triathlete well i could answer this very very easily no but I will expand a little bit. So I'm not a fan of controlled breathing, or as most people do in hypoxia, only being able to breathe every fifth, every seventh, every ninth stroke. I think it's firstly potentially dangerous. I don't think the buildup of carbon dioxide that happens in that type of training has any physiological or training benefit for the athlete. And so therefore, it's something that actually I avoid at all costs. But there is some value to doing some controlled breathing. And so what I mean by that is there is valuable to do some swimming where you don't need to rotate your head to breathe. And the reason for that is when you rotate your head to breathe, for so many more novice swimmers, that disrupts or creates a whole cascade of negative effects. You start to rush the catch and the pull, you start to rotate the body, and you pull it out of good posture and good alignment. So if we go relatively short distances, 25s and 50s, and it's at a moderate effort and we decide not to breathe or at least rotate our head to breathe, and then it's a wonderful opportunity to focus on good connection, good alignment, good posture. In other words, it's a technical component. But while you're doing that, you're not holding your breath. If you're only breathing every fifth or seventh stroke, you should be exhaling oxygen. You always want to be exhaling under the water in a very controlled, moderate effort. In other words, it's a technical component. But there's another way to get around this that we tend to do. We tend to simply put on a snorkel. Therefore, you don't have the disruption of rotating, you can improve your timing of your stroke and the feeling of connection. And then when you take the snorkel off, you can try and integrate the timing of breathing while having that awareness of good technique and good form. And so the short answer, it's old school. And I would argue that the vast majority of coaches that actually prescribe hypoxic breathing don't really understand what the purpose is behind it. It's just something that they used to do when they swam in college. The only thing I can think of is maybe an emotional, a familiarity type training where you say you're going to have at the start of races some chaotic experiences and you need to be able to hold form under stress. But we can get there by many different ways and holding your breath underwater, not such a good thing globally. So I hope that helps. Well, guys, I enjoyed that. I hope that you found it helpful we talked a little bit about applied strength next week we've got a special guest on we're going to hold you back on that but it's someone that is the highest levels of olympic performance and so that'll be a good one keep your ears open for that and as ever thanks so much and matt dixon signing off i'll see you next time take care Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, would really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review the show. The Apple Podcasts link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time staffed people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget... You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Cheers!